Welcome to The Atypical Leader with Rick Brennan, where we talk about harnessing what makes you unique and maybe even a little odd, while at the same time dismantling the notion that you have to be a certain type of person or act a certain way to be an effective leader. Definitely a leader, not a follower. I like the sound of this. It's time for us atypical leaders to come out of the shadows and learn to be proud and confident in what makes us different. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of who I am. Atypical leader starts now. Okay, so good morning, Judy. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Rick. Oh, you're right. I'm behind the times already. It is afternoon. I apologize. See, I'm in Montreal. I was out last night. What's that? How many layers do you have on? Well, you know me. It's freaking cold. I'm used to Costa Rica, and I've been free. (laughs) Honest to God, I've been freezing since I landed in Montreal. You're the only person I know that wraps himself in a blanket in, in hawk. I'm a delicate oh, flower. Yeah, very delicate. I know. Oh, well, that's good. So shall we move on with our podcast? Yes, we have a guest. We do have a guest. We have a gentleman, uh, <laughs> Brian King from Illinois. He is a five-time author, neurodivergent educator, and has been helping people with various neuro issues for years. So, so Brian, Welcome. Sorry about the stumbling, but that's Thank you me. so much, G. And I just want to make clear right now, we're talking about neurodivergence. We're all human beings. Imperfection is on brand. So yes. I, do, I do not deduct points for that. So <laughs> misspeak, clarify, <laughs> anything you need to do to pick up where you left off and keep moving. Good, yeah, good, yeah we all need that. that. That's for yeah, sure. Definitely. So, uh, Brian, tell us a bit about yourself. I grew up with undiagnosed autism, ADHD, dyslexia. So life was really hard. I was called unmotivated, lazy, all that stuff that we're all used to. I didn't have too many friends. I was on the outside looking in. Connection was something that always seemed to evade me. Okay. So when I graduated high school, some of my friends actually were given cars as a graduation present. Mm -hmm. I was given stage three testicular cancer. Oh, Oh, God. God. So I spent my summer in chemotherapy. Right. And that was such a horrific experience. When I found out I was in remission, I declared that I was going to live deliberately after that. I didn't want to be reactive. I didn't want to feel like a victim. I didn't want to be so angry with the world. So I started my own going on 30 plus year journey to figure out how to connect, how to do relationships. How does this communication thing work? And I'm still learning, but I've become so proficient that it's what I do for a living now. Right. Wow. I, I teach other people with neurodivergence, educators, professionals, how to engage successfully, consistently with neurodivergent folks. Right. So I'm interested, Brian, when you say that after the cancer, you started on this journey. How old were you then? 18. 18. So that's quite a... You know, it's, it's quite a challenge. I mean, you know, at 18 years old, to have the maturity to think that way and, and to, because I, I can tell you there's a lot, a lot of people, 30, 40, 50, 60, that are still oh, challenging. It has with not that. been a smooth ride by right. any means. I mean, there were times where, many times throughout my life, where I felt like I had to disintegrate, you know, fall apart, have an ugly cry, get things really clear in my head. It was usually when I thought, I needed to adapt a certain persona to be what I thought was the successful person according mm-hmm. to my journey. Right. And the more and more I did it, the more and more I realized that 
accepting myself as an impermanent being was essential. I mean, I, you know, we've talked obviously before and, you know, I mean, our experience is somewhat the same, but obviously very different. I, I didn't have some of the obstacles that you had, but I too was sort of undiagnosed. And, and back in my day, I'm somewhat older than you. I mean, there was, there was none of this. It's either you were kind of smart or you were stupid and that was it. And I wasn't in the smart camp, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was a, all your fault too, right? Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. a character defect. They didn't know anything oh. about learning disabilities or challenges or anything. You were all normal kids with variations in motivation. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I can remember sitting there. Well, I'm sure we can all remember sitting there with our parents trying to help with with our homework. And we're, homework. I mean, we're not getting it right. We're not getting it. And if you're not trying hard enough and pay attention and get focused, and of course you've got some ADHD going, so you are kind of, you know, jumping around and, you know, it's hard to sit at that table and, you know, it's but crazy. We don't like labels here and we don't want to use that as an excuse. Right, Because right. if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds familiar. I found that really interesting that, that you were more interested in getting to the bottom of making them feel good about themselves before you dealt with the with the uh, uh the condition well it was more than that it was realizing that kids who don't think they're worth anything aren't right. going to apply the executive function strategies that you teach them it's along the lines of somebody who's depressed won't wash their hair they won't feed themselves because they don't feel they're worth it right you know right. and i've had so many kids that were brought to me and their parents' objective was they need to get better grades. You need to help them manage their time better. And it was all of this, you know, check the box kind of stuff. They weren't interested at all in what their child's inner life was like, you know, like, oh, they just need to stop thinking so negatively as though right. this were, these were transactional things. I could give them a skill and everything would be fine. Yeah. And I would say your child's depressed. You know, they've learned to be helpless. They've given up. And some parents got this and some of them were oblivious. Do you think right. that's got a lot to do with just sort of generational gaps? Because like I say, when I went to, when I was young, there was smart and stupid. But I think people my, in my age group really lacked that understanding. And I can see how that progresses through the generations. So when one generation is talking about my issue, the other generation is just not understanding. You think that's a big part of that? Well, yeah, you got to make a good point there because generationally, like my parents, you didn't get help. You were told not to talk about it. I remember growing up in the 80s, one phrase that I despised, but I heard routinely was walk it off. Come on, be tough. Yeah. And there was that attitude towards emotions too. Oh, you just need to think about something else. You need to go and you know hang out with your friend for a while. Distract yourself. Do something else. Toughen up. But it was never encouraged to Let's sit down and talk about that. I'm glad you brought this to me. We had an, uh, an interview we did with a, a golf buddy of mine, Ben Boast, and uh, he talked about that. Like, like, you know, he had all these issues, but in his family, they didn't, he really didn't talk about that stuff, you know? And, and there was a financial part of that too, is that, you know, we're trying to put food on the table and, and the thought of, you know, spending money in that direction was kind of a foreign thought to many people uh, in the, those days or in those economic, you know, con conditions. And also where they live, I think, plays a part too. Right. And the more rural areas, the more off the table the emotional discussion is. Yeah, yeah for sure. They just don't, yeah, they don't acknowledge it. So, I was lucky. I grew up with a mother that was uh, very open to emotions, you know, lots of hugs, lots of understanding. So, 
Yeah. So, Brian, could you sort of, you know, you, I know I, I, I'm not, have you worked with a lot of people in sort of leadership positions or management positions? Yeah. Right. And one of the things that really throws them, and I'm glad to hear what you guys focus on, is they don't believe there's any room for them to step outside their role. Like if they think, this is my job description. Well, I can't, that's somebody else's job. I can't do that. Or, well, I can't talk to my boss this way. What if my boss gets mad and then they catastrophize it? And, you know, what if they get mad at me? And what if they fire me? Blah, blah, blah. And what they don't realize is that the place you're in is flexible. It's temporary. It can be a way for you to get promoted, you know, learn something for your next job. But it begins with listening for opportunities to be a problem solver. Right, because you're thinking about issues very differently than anyone, everyone else in that room. Oh, right. God, God, I know that for sure. And if someone tells you stay in your lane and they're inflexible, well, then you know that's probably not the person to go to with these new ideas. So I recommend people, if you've got a problem-solving brain, track of your solutions. You might not necessarily be able to bring it up at the time, but write that stuff down because it is so important to allow your brain to play Right. And make those connections. And a lot of us have been taught that, no, that's being off task. That's daydreaming. That's being distracted. No, that's your superpower. You need to let your brain do that because that's where some of the more outside the box solutions might come from. Oh, I couldn't. I agree 100 percent. We talk about that. I mean, is that if we act like everybody else, if we atypicals and neurodivergent act like everyone else, we kind of kind of eliminate our superpower. And the challenge well, is, is to have that confidence and that, that thing that makes you different is to start to understand is that what gives you your strength. And if we could get that message across and start embracing that, and guess what? It's a good thing to be different. Innovation demands that things be different. You know, all the progress that we have, the iPhone would have not been possible in people looking to satisfy the status quo. Exactly. You yeah. know, one of uh, Steve Jobs' famous quotes, I think he, when he was recruiting one of his CEOs, he said, do you want to stay here and do this the rest of your life, or do you want to make a dent in the universe? Right on. Now, now I remember I used that a lot. Like, I want to make a dent in the universe. And I say that to myself when I start feeling like playing it safe. You but know, when you're looking like you don't want to ruffle feathers, you don't want to offend people, that's when you might as well just dress like everybody else and become a drone. And fit mm -hmm. in with the crowd of everybody pushing to get on the train to do their nine to five. No, you want to make a dent in the universe. Trust me, the universe can handle it. But you know what? You got to go back. I'm sure so many people go back to their childhood and we're taught, don't disrupt. Listen to your elders. Let's go with the status quo. So it fights, it kind of fights against that instinct. I mean, your, your instinct is because it came natural to me. I was just too stubborn and out of control to listen to anybody. But I think most people is, you know, I've been told, I've been told, I've been told to keep my mouth shut. It's hard to fight that. Yeah, don't rock the boat. Submit to authority, whether it be dad, the teacher, the boss. And that's all by design because they want you to support the bureaucracy and the status quo. They don't want you to make things uncomfortable. But as you and I know, we're kind of like that by design. Right on. We like to call BS. So we like to ask why. We want to know the reasons behind things. We need explicit instruction to learn things. So it's almost like we were put here to compel everybody else to think it through. And when they do, it's easy to find the holes in a lot of this BS that people have been doing for decades. And that's one of my favorite things to do is to think it through 
down to the minutia, because that's often where you find the opportunity to tweak it so everything changes. Right. But I think that there's also, and I guess go back to myself, when left to my own means, I mean, I have this thing that I always manage by called done is better than perfect. Let's simplify, 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 break this down to the bare bones. But I needed the flexibility within my company to allow me to do that. If I had a supervisor telling me, no, no, Rick, this is the platform you have to use. And here are the spreadsheets you need to do. And here are the rules to abide by. And he constrained me and didn't allow me to do that. I could never be the best version of myself. So I had to search out environments that allowed me the flexibility to do exactly what you said. If I was had, if I had handcuffs on, I couldn't be me. And thank God I had that stubbornness to fight and, and do what I needed to do. And frankly, some of that was not telling the boss what I was up to. Because I, with certain bosses, I knew they would curtail my, my activity. And that was just my reality. I don't know if I prescribed that to everyone else. Well, maybe a little I do. But that was my reality. If I wanted to make things happen, I knew that I just couldn't allow myself to get governed and ruled out of, out of being productive. So what would happen then? Well, I was lucky that my way tended to be better result than they were expecting. So with that, and not always, because some people don't care. Some people put greater value that doing what I told you to do than success. And that's a lot to do with ego. But generally, I was pretty successful. And when you're successful, people say, well, well, let them go with it. <laughs> you know, you were lucky. You found people, though, that. Well, I that searched people out that. like that for yeah, sure. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. It helps to test the boundary. You know, see if they will tolerate you being creative. And that's how you find out whether your system will support you in being outside the box or whether they want you to just be compliant. Right. Well, in addition to that, and I think we, we talked about this in one of our private conversations, Rick, is people learn that certain personas will gain them entry into opportunities, meaning they put a mask on. They pretend to be something they're not in order to get included, in order to fit in, to be able to check that box and crank out those widgets, but their creativity gets stifled you know, they're outside the box thinking anything quirky gets shoved into the background for the sake of fitting in. And like you said, hiding the superpowers. Oh, it's yeah. absolutely exhausting. It's demoralizing. Yeah. You end up feeling empty because you're not getting deep, authentic connections with people. They're connecting with your persona, not with you. Right. right. And right. there's a big yeah. difference. Yeah. So any opportunities you have, employment, social, for you to just be your imperfect, quirky self, I'm not talking off the chains with no skills or ability to manage your impulses because right. raw is too much, too chaotic. Right. But to be able to be quirky and say things like you say them and ask those outside the box questions, people that can embrace that, mm -hmm. they it's almost like letting your dog off chain, you know, where they can just run and enjoy and Absolutely like great analogy. Help be, yeah. Help you be fulfilled in life, you know? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Now, Brian, you had used that word masking. Can you can you explain that a little more? Masking is essentially pretending to be someone else. One trend or hobby that fascinates me is cosplay. Sorry, say that again. Cosplay. Okay. It's costume play. Oh. Okay. It's when oh. adults dress up like Jedi's. Or right. they're they're like Indiana Jones, or they pretend to be their favorite movie character. 
And they have conventions where people dress up this way and they go to conventions and they can buy stuff. And it's a way of them kind of getting closer to qualities in themselves. They might not necessarily possess all the time. And wearing a mask kind of gives you a cover. You can act normal so long as you're wearing this persona, this mask. But who you really are better not be found out because they're going to think you're weird, different, <laughs> disabled. So the mask does that job. It's funny because, Brian, when you had mentioned that masking, I kind of went on to, you know, and trolled the Internet and could put that in a few times. And I had I just saw one today where this girl was talking about and she talked about her social. What did I say it was called, Judy? Her social script. Script. She goes out and I'm not I'm just awful with small talk. You know, I, I got my four or five questions. Judy's putting up her hand, her too. You know, how are you? How's the weather? Blah, blah, blah. And if that person doesn't really respond, I'm done. And she was talking about how that's my, so when I run it on my social script, then the real me <laughs> comes flying out. And uh, then every, and like I'm standing there like I'm naked. Because I could never communicate with the top brass in our company because I always felt that way. I didn't have that. And some people can talk and talk and just go on forever. I just didn't have that ability. I, I need to know where we're headed. Right. You know, why are we yeah. talking to each other? What's the outcome? What, what are we looking to do here? Because with my focus, I don't have a lot of staying power. So if you want to just have my undivided attention for 25 minutes, you can't have it. I need to know, are we trying to solve a problem? Are you conveying information to me that I need to need to make use of? Because if you're just rambling, I'm not going to make an effort to remember anything you're saying to me. So what do you do with the long talkers then? Oh, I get them to cut to the chase. <laughs> tell us, tell us your secret. Tell us okay. your secret, please. <laughs> when they start going on and on and on, and I can tell there's no one in sight, I'll ask a question that demands them to give me an action step, Okay. So I'll say something like, so is there something I can do for you? you uh, know, that's there, a good is, one. Yeah. Is, is there yeah. something you wanted to ask me? Is there something you wanted to tell me? So I get them to pick something as opposed to just go on and on and on. If they say, oh, no, no, no. I, I just, you know, wanted to chat and catch up. I can say, oh, I'm so glad that you, you did. But I really need to get back to this other thing now. And so I make room for finding out, can we turn this into something useful? If not, here's my exit. Okay. We'll have to use that, Judy. I will have to use that a lot, Rick. Connection and communication has become my bread and butter. Okay. So I really dissect it and break it down. So, okay. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Like in terms of like the people that we're talking to, like people that are, you know, looking to get up through the ranks, maybe feel that they have obstacles in their ways that they can't, they don't feel comfortable doing things, you know? Well, so much of the way people interact is about avoiding conflict versus self-advocating effectively or authentic connection. So they'll hint, they'll imply, they'll make suggestions, hoping that you will mind read them. Because then if they do figure it out and they get upset with you, then you can say, oh, I didn't say that. Because you didn't. You hinted. Right. You suggested. So they saved you from having to be on the receiving end of someone's anger. You know, we're we're so emotionally afraid in this country and conflict avoidant. Well, I got to tell you, I never had that problem. I always even called my management time confrontational management. And it, we loved each other, but that's the whole point of building that team where you trust and respect each other is you can have real conversations. And real conversations means... Real conversations require that you can give each other feedback about something that's not working for you 
and the other person will be grateful for that feedback. Yeah, that's as kind a, of a lost art. Uh, <laughs> I've actually, I've actually created an exercise where people can go step by step through putting that agreement together. Okay, what explain given, that. What explain we're given, what we're given feedback on, mm-hmm. how we're given feedback, and how the other person agrees to re- receive it. They agree to receive it with gratitude. But so isn't that hard to there. do, though, if you don't have the right environment already? I mean, it's great to say that, but... Only going to be utilized by people who are invested in making that part of the way they do things. Right, right, right on. They're not going to be listening to right. it. Yeah. But people that tend to be not open to that are people that are too invested in having their ego saturated with power. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, They don't want someone to give them feedback. They want someone to just do what they say. And get off on that. Or the people that at present, they're so full of shame and their inner critic is so harsh that they don't want feedback because they only hear it personally and negatively. Right, right. So they would need to go through some healing work before they'd be available for a strategy like that. It's interesting because we were talking to uh, an old colleague of mine uh, a couple of weeks ago. We did an interview with Paula Zaronsky, and she was talking like the new fad out in the corporate world is is that laying everything out on the line, being totally honest. And I, I you know, and I, I heard that and I said, oh, that all sounds great. But then I thought that, but the same people that were dictatorial two years ago or the same manager you have today, now it's lay it all on the line. And I couldn't help but think to myself as a bit of a trap. It is. Because when I hear that, being completely honest, does that include your biases, your prejudices, and your judgments? Do you really want people putting that out there? Hey, I just want you all to know I'm a racist. I spent a lot of time with my granddad <laughs> yeah. when we were younger. Fair enough. Yeah. This, is, yeah. this yeah. is how we bonded. I just want you to know the real me. I don't think they're talking about that, to be honest. <laughs> and no. so that's that's an that important thing. qualification. If you want right. 100% honesty, about what? I was just going to say, it'll depend on the leader. You know, he has to set the the parameters of what they're being honest about. And I would hope that he's just talking about the business side of it. It also helps that the people being led check in with the leader to say, can we set a boundary here? Yes. You know, is it part of your vision that this be part of how we talk to each other? Because if that were a big part of it, people after a while would be reluctant to seek feedback. Well, the whole thing has so, got to be in that safe environment, right? You got to feel like yeah, you're safe yeah. and you can speak. So it's, it's great to have to rules. It's part and... of the culture. Absolutely. So the, the leader has to do it. The supervisors need to be on board. There needs to be buy-in from the team. Otherwise, it'll be sabotaged right and left. Right. So one of the questions I had had for you, Brian, was, you know, I've run into people like, well, take myself. I knew I had all this stuff, and I kind of ran with it. Over many years, I mean, you know, I turned stuff into skills. But there was a lot of years that people looked at me strange. And then there's other people who sit and say, poor me, I have these, you know, I have ADHD and I have all this sort of stuff. And so that therefore I'm incapable of maybe achieving certain managerial positions. Uh, I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. What exactly is your question within all that? Well, I'm saying, you know, I've talked to people who say, oh, I'm so I'm so tense and I'm so all over the place. I have ADHD. I just I see myself as limited in my career progress. Of people who believe the shell-shocked version of themselves is who they are. Right, exactly, yes. You know, that I am the trauma. I am the attachment issues. You know, I am the anxiety. No, this is your reaction. 
this is what happens when your needs aren't met. That's what you're experiencing now. What we need to start doing is figuring out how you show up when you feel heard, validated, when someone listens to you without judgment. How are you able to show up then? And when they start experiencing what it's like to create, to watch their, sh- their thoughts without being judgmental of themselves, and they start to explore their creativity, then like you, Rick, they begin to realize, wow, I've got a unique contribution to make here. Right. As opposed to always walking around waiting to be criticized like they've been their entire life because they're not doing things right. Yeah. And it's also trying to think, well, you know, I'll be better when I, I overcome my condition. And when it's posed to me, I say, yeah, I got it. Hell, let's just run with it. <laughs> you know, I yeah. am what I am. And, you know, it is what it is. And sometimes too many people think that success equals perfection. Oh, God. When nobody oh, thinks God. I'm different. When everybody accepts me, when nobody criticizes me, then it'll be okay. But that goes back to the mask, right? Yeah. Yeah. Masking the all or nothing thinking that tends to come along with ADHD. They think I'm perfect or I'm useless. Right. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like when you get up to make a speech. Who's not a little nervous? I mean, it just goes with the territory, but you can get your mind wrapped up and, oh my God, I'm nervous. It's, it's, uh, and then it just kind of cascades with you as opposed to accepting, yeah, I'm nervous. Who isn't nervous? And you run with it. Like I said in the beginning, Judy, we're all human. We're imperfect. We're going to fumble. Like you said, Rick, roll with it. Yeah. It's yeah. on brand. But, we don't need to but stop we've been and give special not attention. To. Right. We've been taught not to. That's not what society wants from us. So. People want us to accommodate their comfort zone. So when people say, like, say, well, that's weird. Why did you do that? Or why did you say it that way? Who talks like that? Well, I do, evidently. <laughs> I would rather take a chance on the person who did it in their garage because the people who did it in college were taught existing ways of doing things. They weren't taught innovation. Right on. So they're going to come in and they're going to fit inside the box and play the mm-hmm. game and wear the corporate mask and be who they need to be. But they're probably not going to break any eggs or put a dent in the universe. Okay, well, it's well been cool to talk but to I, you, Brian. Yeah, th- this has been fun. I'm glad we uh, found time to do this. Well, yeah, hopefully, we'll be able to do it again good. sometime. Yeah, well, you, you, you certainly know how to find me. We do. Yeah, now we know where you are. You'll never get rid of us. <laughs> Saying that, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to educate us and our listeners on the power of neurodiversity. So we hope to see you again soon. Until then, goodbye. And uh, Judy, take us away. Thanks for listening. Let's do it again next week. If you liked the episode, please download it and share it with your family, friends, and colleagues. And if you'd like more information, please visit our website, atypicalleader.com. 